referred to. This is something that I really have to learn over the uh, past few years. When we talk about rest in forgiveness and what that looks like. So I'm going to uh, read that passage for us. Exodus chapter 35, verses 1 through 3. It's Exodus chapter 35, verses 1 through 3. And it says, Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but the seventh day you will have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Let's, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you in the mighty sons of Jesus' name, trusting that God greatest source of truth and re revelation. God, you are the truth, and your word is the truth. And I pray that you will open it up to us and speak to us, God, declaring who you are to us and who we are as your people. Father God, I pray that you will move me out of the way. I pray that I will decrease and that you will increase and be made much of in this place. God, we thank you and we love you for your word. You by your grace have revealed yourself to us. Through your word, Lord, we will experience it today at this time. So, in the mighty name of Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen. In his book, Crazy Busy, Kevin DeYoung speaks about the terror of total obligation. He talks about this terror of total obligation. He, he says that those who struggle with total obligation uh, take on more. Uh, uh, responsibility that God has given you. If, if you struggle with this, which I have at points in my life, you, you, you feel like every problem is your problem. Uh, every everything, uh, every issue is your issue. And so if you hear a sermon about youth ministry, you feel like, okay, maybe I got God's calling me to go do youth ministry and I get real fired up about youth ministry. Or maybe you hear about uh, uh, something that's going on in another country, let's just say Peru, and you get fired up about Peru. So that's on your heart. And, and then social media pulls things in your direction. And so the issues on social media, you have to respond to those and you have to jump in there. That, that's on your heart as well. And then maybe you think about all of your personal things, you have to match home, health, the neighbors need you, your in-laws need you, uh, the finance ministry needs you, uh, you're part of this committee and that committee, and maybe even out of a very sincere heart and a desire to be obedient, we can step into this terror of total obligation where the weight of the world is on our shoulders. Everybody isn't like this, but some people who have maybe a sensitivity to things that are going on around them may take on this uh, this total obligation. And it can come from a sincere place, but it can leave us very unfocused and uncensored and out of sync with God's will for our lives. And so God has given us the gift of work. So we do have this gift of work and a role to play in God's kingdom. But he has also given us this gift of Sabbath rest. He's given us this gift of Sabbath rest. But the Sabbath is very countercultural. It's very counterintuitive. It's, it's not popular to take such a rest. There's even a myth in society that says that in order to be impactful or to do anything significant and to have a life of meaning, that we must go, go, go and do, do, do and be little busy bees. 
but this is not true. This is this is not true. Uh, Jesus even rested, and I can even just use a few examples from society. Chick-fil-A isn't struggling, all right? And they, they're not open today, and, and they practice this rested. But they're doing okay. I don't think I, I haven't seen any go out of business in time soon. Chick-fil-A is doing all right. Um, I, I even think of uh, William Wilberforce. Uh, he helped to abolish slavery in the British Empire. And it took him 25 years of work to see this actually come to pass uh, to abolish slavery in the British Empire. Uh, but one thing about William Wilberforce, he always took a Sabbath day rest. So, I mean, as far as significance and meaning in life go, this, this fellow was able to abolish slavery in the British Empire to be a great catalyst of that. And he took a day off every week. He said he would close the loop while the other guys kept working in Parliament. He would take a day off and close the loop. And last but not least, Jesus took time to rest and retreat. He would go off to desolate places. And as far as a life of significance and meaning, nobody's beating Jesus any time soon. Right. So the Sabbath reminds you and I that we are not the Christ. So even if the, if the Christ rested, certainly you and I must rest. And that Sabbath rest reminds you and I that we do not have to fall into this terror of total obligation. Uh, there's work to be done, but we also are to set aside time for rest, which leads us to our first point. The Sabbath is a gift from God. The Sabbath is a gift from God. As we come to our text, we will see Moses gathering all of the people. So he does this often. He would gather everyone. And so that's to let us know that this message is for everyone. So it says Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. So this is public. This is an open. Uh, everybody is hearing this. This is community accountability, accountability. Everyone knows that this is for everyone. Everyone is to take this rest. And it says six days work shall be done. But on the seventh day, you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. And so we first heard this in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. So with that being said, we know that this, this rest, it isn't a suggestion. It isn't a good idea. This isn't, hey, maybe you should think about it. No, this, is, this is God's command. He wants his people to take rest. So I just want to spend some time here with that word uh, Sabbath for a second. Um, the word Sabbath. In, in, in Hebrew, that's Shabbat, which simply means to cease. It means to stop. So that word Shabbat means to cease, to stop, to come to an end. Uh, in the ancient Jewish context, there was to be no work on the Sabbath, which took place on the seventh day of the week. So no work regardless of your, your class or your social status. Uh, not even the animals were to work on this day. And so uh, there was not to be any serious traveling or even cooking. So you would prepare your food before this day. And so this was a serious shut it all down. We're, we're not doing anything. Uh, uh, Sinclair Ferguson says it like this. He says, uh, the Sabbath was given to fallen man. That is why it contains a you shall not. He was not to work but to rest externally, that meant ceasing from his ordinary task in order to meet with God. 
Internally, it involves ceasing from all self-sufficiency in order to rest in God's grace. Uh, once again, this is a day to remind you and I that we are not the Savior. We focus, we recenter, we are reminded that God is the center. So we may have shifted into us being the center or Work might have shifted to the center or the issues or maybe coronavirus might have shifted to the center. And God is saying, let's focus back. I'll give you this day to refocus you and remind you that I am the center. So essentially, the Sabbath day was a call to stop. Even in the wilderness, God was forming their patterns and their rhythms for life. And one of those rhythms and patterns was for them to stop one's work. It was a gift to people who had only known work. This is all they knew in Egypt. But similar to us, that, that culture was counterintuitive. Uh, this, their culture was counter, uh, was counter to this idea of stopping from work. So this is a countercultural idea. This is counterintuitive. But God knows that we need to stop. So by his grace, he puts a stop to things for us by instituting the Sabbath. On, on July 19th, 2019, a boxer by the name of Maxim Dedeshov stepped into, a, stepped into the ring for a welterweight, welterweight title shot. He was, he was going to fight for a shot at the welterweight title. This is the type of stuff that a boxer dreams of. He dreams of this opportunity to step in the ring and fight for the title. Well, nine rounds into the fight, Maxim Dedeshov is getting beat pretty bad. He has lost every round up to this point. It doesn't look like he's going to win a round. His trainer, who goes by the, by the name of, uh, of, of Buddy McGirt, Buddy McGirt, who was a former fighter himself, is noticing that his fighter is taking a beating. And so when Maxim gets into the corner, he's like, hey, hey, buddy, um, let me, I don't think you're going to get through it. Let me stop this fight for you. Let, let me stop it for you. I'll throw in the towel for you. Uh, we can fight another day. Maxim argues back. He says, no, I want to keep fighting. Let me add him. Let me get him. I want to get back into the ring. This is a true story. This happened last year. So that's what happened. Maxim gets back into the ring for round 10. He gets back in there for round 10, loses round 10 pretty badly. He is hurting bad. His trainer sees it. And he said, his, his trainer, Buddy McGurk, says, come on, man, let me stop the fight for you. I know you got a lot of pride. I know you want to win this. You've dreamed of this moment, but let me stop the fight for you. And Maxim says, no, I want to keep going. I want to keep going. These are his exact words. He says, don't stop it. I got him now. He's tired. He says, don't stop it. I got him. He's lost every round. I got him now. He's tired. So look at that. But he gets back in there. He gets back in the ring for round 11. In the middle of round 11, Maxim is taking a beating in round 11. He's getting hit hard. He can't defend himself. Buddy McGirt finally does it. He throws in the towel and stops the fight for Maxim Dedashev. He presses the stop button for Maxim because in his drivenness, Maxim wouldn't press the stop button for himself. Here's the sad part of that story. 
Later on that evening, evening, Maxim Danishev died due to the damage incurred from that fight. His, his trainer, Buddy McGirt, now lives with regret, wishing that he had stopped it sooner. He said these words, and these words stuck with me when I, I was watching this documentary about this. He says, and this is Buddy McGirt, the trainer, he says, throwing in the towel doesn't protect fighters from other fighters. It protects fighters from themselves. See, friends, God stops the fight for us with the Sabbath. He knows that left to our own thinking and our own fallen wisdom of this world, we would keep going and going and going and going. And in many ways, the Sabbath protects us from ourselves and our tendencies to overdo it. I like the way Mark 2.27 puts it in the, in the New Living uh, Translation. It says it like this. It says, then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. That Sabbath meets us every week because we need rest for our souls. It meets us right where we need it. We need the recentering back on God. Now, I... I I will um, I will say that I, and I know this is a, this is up there for some people, but I do believe that we're called to take a day of rest. Uh, I believe that God set that uh, example for us. So I believe that New Covenant Christ followers are to take that that day of rest. I know some people have different thoughts on that. I, I see that God set the example Himself by resting. Uh, he rested on the seventh day. If you go to the New Testament, Revelation 1.10, uh, we see John acknowledging the Lord's day. So that's New Covenant, New Testament. He says that on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And so we see a New Testament Christ follower acknowledging the Lord's day is set apart. So I believe that if God worked six and rested one, and we see one of the, 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 the people who uh, wrote the New Testament acknowledging the Lord's day, I believe that God still offers us this day of rest. Um, we don't need it any less than the Israelites did. Uh, I believe it's a gift and not a burden that we were created for, which leads us to our next point. Uh, God sets the example and pace for our rest. Uh, Exodus 35.2 says, Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh days you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. So there's a rhythm here, work six, rest one, work six, rest one. Uh, so God... Uh, does not just tell Israel to keep this rhythm. He models this rhythm for them. So Genesis 2, it says on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy because only God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So he's creating a rhythm for life. He's creating order to life. God has set a rhythm and set a pace. So regardless of the genre of music that you might like, I imagine that you like music with good rhythm. Like you like that music to have a pace and a rhythm to it. You don't know, like chaotic drums and strings all, all over the place. And so uh, in, in most bands, that, that drummer sets the rhythm. He sets the, he sets the beat. He sets the tempo. And the, and the rest 
of the band follows their tempo. And so you see that the, the pace is set, the tempo is set, everybody jumps into the pace and the rhythm that's already set. Now, what's not good is if somebody gets off tempo and the guitar strings is just like all over there and the saxophonist is all over there and the key, keyboardist is all over there and you do not have harmony at that moment, right? And so we, we don't like that uh, in, in our music, but if we fall in line and get in order with the rhythm and if everybody falls in line, you get a good pace and you get music that's actually enjoyable. Well, God has set a, play, a pace for living in loving union with him and with his people. And that, that, that pace involves seasons of pause and seasons of rest. So I had to ask myself this question. I'll, I'll pose it for you as well. If your life was a song, how would it sound? Would it be your fast pace with some crazy guitar strings or uh, loud bass? I don't know. Would it be slow and... You know, just steady. I don't know. It's just a question that I thought of as I thought about the fact that God is trying to set a rhythm and pace. So, like, what what is my what is my life has what does my life sound like? But here's the thing: you do not have to invent a pace. God has already created a pace. He's set a pace that involves some work and some rest. He, he set a pace that involves some work and some rest. And God is not trying to kill dreams. He's not trying to kill businesses or stop the fun, but he does call us to rest. And that's a part of his rhythm. If Jesus can do it, we can do it. If William Wilberforce can end slavery, we, 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 whatever we're doing uh, can, can take a pause as well. He has set that rhythm in, his li- in the lives of his people so that we may know him and enjoy him and experience him. Um, this happened all throughout Israel's history. Uh, he, he set these rhythms for his people. So, of course, there was a Sabbath day of rest, that seventh day uh, for worship. Uh, then they had sabbatical years. On that sabbatical year, they would just let the, the, the harvest grow and anyone can come and eat from that uh, that harvest. They would let the fields grow. And that seventh year, uh, it was a year of, of, of uh, freedom for some people. People could be let go from their obligations. Uh, they could be let go from, from their debts. So that's that, that sabbatical year. They also had the year of Jubilee and 50 years. So God is setting this these rhythms in the lives of his people. And so I bring that up not to say, uh, uh, keep this or that day or that festival or that thing. The New Testament tells us against that. I bring that up to show that uh, uh, God calls us to live a life of rhythm and pace that draws us into relationship with him and into flourishing relationships with other people. If we have a pace that does not allow us to have a, a loving union with God or flourishing relationships with other people, there's a good chance we need to check our pace and adjust our pace to God's tempo. Um, With that said, there's some sensitivity uh, to the fact that some people aren't allowed the luxury of this kind of rest. And I know that it's very much a reality in Memphis. If we get down to the nitty gritty, some people have to work multiple jobs just to make ends meet and pay the bills. I know that. And there are places in Memphis where people can't imagine a vacation that is not even thought about, this idea of getting away. 
Um, there, there's, there's, especially in poverty-stricken communities, there's a lot of fatigue and overwork and, and, and overburden. So I know that that's a reality, and I want to be sensitive uh, to that. And there are people among us who can't imagine rest. But as the body of Christ, what does it look like to babysit for the couple who really needs a break in a date night? What does it look like for us to step in so that other brothers and sisters may experience rest? For those who have scenarios and circumstances that don't really allow them to step into this type of rest, what does it look like for the body of Christ to invite people into that rest, to invite people into church so that they can rest from their work and see that there is something bigger or something more? What does it look like to ease the burdens of those who are under resource or poor who, who might not be able to uh, step into rest. That's just something for us to think about because I know this isn't cookie cutter. Everybody's life doesn't look the same. We don't all have the same circumstances, but God created rhythms and we can live in those rhythms and we can even share that with others and we can imitate God and how he rested, which, which leads us to our last point of today. The Sabbath day is a foretaste of a greater rest to come. When we invite people into God's rest, when we invite people into worship, when we step into worship ourselves, when we take some time to experience God's rest, we're getting a little glimpse of that greater rest to come that one day, someday we will experience in God's presence. And God is serious about this rest. And we see this in Exodus 35. So this is one of those passages that it would be tempting to skip over because in 21st century, this type of stuff makes God look bad. But this is the text. So we have to be honest with the text and we have to look at the whole counsel of God's whole character. And this happened in the Bible. So we have to deal with it. Exodus 35, verse 3. We would have stopped at verse 2. It would have been a little more simple. But verse 3, it says, whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. He said, you shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. And so, and in reading this, in this, in this, in this, even in that context, it might even seem unethical, maybe. Uh, but in this time period, this is what happens. And someone actually does break the Sabbath for the first time. And there is a, there's an altercation that takes place, just to say the least. And so uh, we see this uh, Numbers 15, 32. This is when somebody actually does break the Sabbath. It says, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. All right. So we already have a problem here. He's working. He's gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And he was found doing this out in the open. He wasn't hiding. This was out in the public for everybody to see. So he's, he's out working. So this is open defiance. He's openly, he's not with it. He's not with the Sabbath idea and he doesn't care if everybody sees it. So verse 33, it says, and those who found him gathering the sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because of, because of it uh, had not been made clear what should be done to him. So this was the first time we see on record someone openly breaking the Sabbath. It's an awkward moment. They're not sure what to do with this guy. So they know what they've been told. But that, I mean, are we really supposed to, are we really supposed to do that? And, and so they have this moment of pause. And then in verse 35, 
says, the Lord said to Moses, this, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. So uh, most scholars would agree that this wasn't necessarily about a guy making a mistake and getting caught carrying a few sticks. It wasn't this zero tolerance God. That's that most most scholars would agree on that. Uh, God had even already made for provisions just in case someone broke one of the commandments. And we see this, so we have to look at it in this broader context as we think about what this means about who God is and even what it means for us. And so God says this. He says, if one person sins unintentionally, he shall offer a female goat a year old for a sin offering. The priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who makes a mistake. When he sins unintentionally to make atonement for him, he shall be forgiven. So he shall be forgiven. So our God is a God of grace. He's a God of judgment. His character is holistic. We can't put him in a box, but we see judgment here, but we also see his grace and provision for our sins here. So there is forgiveness even in the Old Testament uh, for those who fall, fall short. But in the case of this, this execution, just to use that word, uh, for this judgment, uh, this was in response to a person's bold and daring pride. Um, I just, I'm going to keep going back to some support I got for this part because this was this was serious. Another guy said, this man wasn't stoned to death because he misunderstood the commandment or the punishment. He misjudged God and put him to test. He waved those sticks in God's face as it were, inviting God to prove him wrong. And in doing so, he found this judgment due to his pride. The 21st century mind might ask, how can I love a God who would do a thing like that? Uh, in this passage, we see a God on display who is, who, who is serious about sin and who judges sin. And so that is, that is his character. But in his character, we also see a God who intervenes and saves people from their own destructive patterns and lifestyle. Uh, this is the God who stops the fight for us when we won't stop it for ourselves. Uh, the Israelites were used to living as slaves. They were used to not taking a rest and enjoying God. They didn't want, they didn't want God's rest. Some of them didn't want God's rest and God's freedom. And he wanted to, them to experience that rest and that freedom more than they wanted to. But more than anything, as New, New Testament believers, we can trust that, the, that God, our God, is the God who keeps us from stumbling. By his grace, he protects us from ourselves. Uh, similar to that boxer who wants to keep going, God has thrown in the towel for us to make us stop so that we don't go past the point that we should, so that we can experience his life and his blessing. So he stops and pauses our activity because he loves us. So is God going to stone you or me for not keeping the Sabbath as new covenant believers no, that's not the application of this text, right? 
But God really wants you to experience his rest. So much so that he died for your rest. As the, as the band comes, I just want to point attention, point our attention towards the fact that this Sabbath rest is only a foretaste of the rest that is to come. So he is so passionate about this rest that we're going to get to experience one day in glory and that we get glimpses of now on this side of eternity that he died for that rest himself. Uh, there are times set apart for rest and remembrance of Christ and God is preparing us for that, for that eternal rest. Even in the wilderness of this fallen world, we can experience Christ's rest. Uh, the, the endless, restless toil of this world does not lead to life and blessing and, and flourishing. But Christ's finished work on the cross does. So, we rest from our work so that we can reflect on his. Uh, we rest from, from our work knowing that, that his work has made great provision for us. So that's why and that's how we can love a God like that. I, I can love the God who, who is holistic in his nature. He is, he is judgment. He has grace. He is love. He is mercy. He is beyond what I can fathom. But what I know for a fact that he was willing to die so that I can experience his rest. And that for that reason, I, I follow and I give my life to him. Uh, let, let's go. Let's go before our king and pray. Father God, we, we thank you that you make provisions for us to rest God, we thank you that you stop, you stop the fight for us when we want to keep going and doing our thing. And the wisdom of this world would tell us to work harder, hustle harder, do more, be more, work for the approval and the applause and the significance of this world. But Father God, you give us something so much greater. You you give us rest. You, you tell us to take your yoke on us. Your yoke is easy. And your burden is your burden is light. And Father God, rewire us to find rest in that work so, so that we can experience your, your love and your kindness and not the strain and the striving and the anxious toil of this world. It's your mighty such Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.